This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And welcome to the No Nay Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week is our regular panellist, Cops and Robbers this week, Robbie Coppank. Welcome to the show again. Good evening. How are we? We are good, thank you. But our listeners, um, Robbie decides to sign on to our, um, we have like code names on our recording software and, and Robbie likes to, to put something hilarious in every single week. He does cheer me up. And, uh, and goodness me, do we need cheering up this week? Because... Listeners, we are not in the best of shapes, are we? And this week's podcast is going to be looking over the end of the European dream and also looking at the first term of the Premier League and see where we stand at the moment. So we have a lot to talk about. We have some key talking points this week. We're going to look at the Olympiakos game. We're going to look at the how we performed on the night and how we performed in the Europa League overall. We are going to look at the team selections and the strategy and see whether we could have done more, whether we did enough or whether it just wasn't to be. We're going to talk about how we feel about being out of Europe. Um, Then we're going to have a bit of a respite from the, not worry as such, but the the key talking points. We're going to have a look at a real happy point to come out of this week, and that's the uh, emergence of McNeil coming through the youth team into the first team. And then we're going to look at United and, and try and dissect exactly what's going on with our league form. So let's not pause. Um, just me and Robbie this week, Dave, Robert's our resident statistician, will be joining us towards the end of the show to have a look forward to Wolves after the international break. But we are going to treat this week as a end of term parents evening so we're going to put Sean Dyche and the Burnley staff and all the players in front of their teachers which will be myself Natalie Bromley and Robbie Kopak and we're going to see just how we've performed in this third quarter first quarter even um Robbie so goodness me where on earth do we start shall we start with the Olympiacos game because obviously that was Thursday night and Burnley had their what turned out to be their final Europa League game at Turf Moor against a Olympiacos side who already came to us with a 3-1 advantage we did have an away goal so all we needed to do on the night was to win 2-0 or more and not concede a goal which I think would have made the job a little bit difficult and try and progress to the group stages and it just wasn't to be Robbie the European tour is over how do you feel 
mixed, really. Going into the game, uh, when we spoke last week, I, what kind of happened on Thursday is exactly what I predicted. That it would be a real valiant effort. We'd give it a right good go and we'd just fall short in the night. And to be honest, we've played some really good football. we played a lot better than I thought we would do. And I don't think I've seen Burnley create amount of chances like that. And not just like the chances, but real like clear openings. And how we didn't take the lead in the first half, I think still uh, I still scratch my head at that. I think if we get that first goal, I would have backed us to actually qualify. And that's you know, that's my biggest disappointment. I, I'd actually felt so dejected when Olympiacos took the lead, and I felt even worse when I saw the amount of fans like leaving as well. I thought that was really disappointing. Yeah, that that really was a, a big disappointment. And I'm not going to dwell too much on that because. People have their reasons for leaving early, and at the end of the day, they've paid their own money, so they can they can come and go as they want, really. But as soon as that Olympiakos goal went in, certainly where I was sat, there were streams and streams of fans leaving the ground, and and I'm quite ashamed to say I did get a little bit angry at a couple of them and sort of clapped them and thanked them for the support. And it, it is disheartening because it's felt under Sean Dyche that we've been a team, doesn't it? It's felt like we've been a family and that the players and the staff and the fans have all been on one page. And to see, well, I guess fans who've possibly only come for the European game um, and to leave and not support the boys. And, and do you know what? Not to even stay and clap them at the end and to thank them for this little mini adventure that we've been on. And let's be realistic, listeners, to thank them for getting us there in the first place. It's It's very easy in the disappointment of coming out of Europe to forget that these players and this club earned the right to be in the Europa League and they played really well last season and this was their prize for doing that. And they'll be just as disappointed, I think, from certainly from the players' perspective, as we are to be out of it. So to as disappointed as we were to not be able to stand there at the end and to applaud them and to thank them for this little adventure we've been on, I think was disappointing. I, I put a tweet out like after the game just saying, us fans, we demand loyalty off like the club's players and we don't like it when players hand in transfer requests and refuse to play for the club and they say, oh, there's no loyalty in the game anymore, blah, 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 blah. Well, these people who say this are the ones who leave 10 minutes early. I think you're the ones who need, like, need to start like showing a bit more loyalty. Absolutely. That's that's a, a cracking point, Robbie, and I completely agree with you. I'm just going to pick up on what you were you were saying in that uh, analysis there, Robbie, in that let's, let's start on a positive note. We did say in last week's podcast that we wanted a performance out of them and, and boy, did they give us that. We weren't particularly surprised by the team selection. Dyche has been playing a different side. I'm not going to say a weakened side for reasons I'm going to come on to in a moment. I'm not going to say a second string side or a reserve side. It's just a different group of players. There's been squad rotation in this first term of the of the uh, season. So, we, we, you know, there were no surprises with the team selection. We knew that Ben Mee was going to have to come in after Gibson got sent off. And they did really put in a great performance. That said, well, actually, no, I'm going to I'm going to stick up for Dutch on this. I saw a lot of criticism on Twitter as well about the first half and it maybe being a slightly subdued first half and, and maybe not going for it. But you know what? I think... Deitch probably did that deliberately. It's been a, a tactic of the real Burnley that we know and love to still be in the game at half time. And that's one of the disappointing things of the league this season is we haven't been. And I think just to not concede the goal by half time and, and to still be nil nil and to still be in the game was probably deliberate. It does only give us 45 minutes to try and get those two goals rather than the full 90. I think I would have preferred to have got them early and, and, and given us a real confidence boost. But, you know, it doesn't really matter which way you do it. But, Robbie, the main problem on Thursday night was just the lack of killer instinct up front. So, looking at the team, would you have started 
Barnes and Vox in the way that you did that they did. Yes. Why? I expected us to be a bit more direct. I thought we'd try and be really ugly and like pump the ball into the box at every opportunity but we actually kept the ball down and actually kept possession and actually passed the ball it was a little bit different than what I expected different in what way what were you expecting I just like I said I just expected us to be really direct and put the ball into the box and be just sort of get the job done but really we were quite patient in terms of build up and we weren't like putting the ball into the box at every opportunity it seemed to be a bit more adventurous than that yeah I I think where I was getting at from the question was more are Barnes and Fawkes do they they play off each other well enough to be able to start a game and claw back a 2-0 deficit because bearing in mind this wasn't nil-nil you know we we, we weren't going into this game just trying to keep as tight and possible and nick a goal we had to go out and play we were behind we were two goals behind now for me Barnes and Fawkes are absolutely brilliant at what they do they both hold the ball up really well and we just create so many more chances from from the front line when those two are on the pitch the problem with having those two at the same time is that they neither of them, in my opinion, are natural finishers. They're not ruthless finishers. I think Barnes has it more than Vokes. I think a lot, most of Vokes' goals tend to come from good balls in and, and headers into the box. That's where he, he does what he does best. Barnes has got a good volley in him. We saw it last season. You know, he was more ruthless than I think we've seen him so far this season. So I would prefer if we were going to go 4-4-2, which I think tactically was the right thing to do to go for it, I think he has to play Wood or he has to at least play maybe Vidra as a, as a, as a natural number 10 to be able to put the ball in the back of the net. Now, that said, Vokes had three amazing opportunities to put us 3-0 up. And you, God, Robbie, you'd have put your mortgage on him burying those chances, wouldn't you? The first one he should score. I, I'm not sure how he misses. The second one, I'll let him off because it looks like he's not expecting. It's like it just kind of bounces off him. What's the third one? Is the third one where he hits the post yes. from outside yeah. the box? Yeah. Again, I, I'm not going to be too critical of that. To be fair, at least he had the ball to actually have a shot. Like, yeah. There's so many players who. Have, in, the, in our squad like Jeff Hendrick and Aaron Lennon in particular who are, who seem to be allergic to shooting uh, <laughs> I mean I think Vogue for me just feels like he's just maybe lacking in confidence a little bit I'm not going to flick too much into the United game just yet but I did see a little bit of, a bit of it on Sunday as well is it's just it feels like Vogue needs a goal doesn't it yeah I agree with that I don't think he's I can't think of his last goal at Watford away last season where he come off the bench? Uh, yes. I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, I think it was. Yeah. That's quite, yeah. I mean, it's hard because it's not like the rest of the team are scoring, is it? It's, you know, we're not known for, for having a lot of goals in us, so it's maybe a little bit unfair to, to criticise him. But it just feels for me that his overall play feels a bit sharper than it did last season. And I'm not entirely sure he earned his place in the squad last season in the squad of course in the in the first team as a starting lineup last season but he looks to be really with it this season it just feels like he desperately needs a goal how do you feel actually that's quite an interesting point actually thinking about that has Bond suddenly fallen out of favor with with Dyke Robbie I mean he was pretty much first choice on the team sheet last season it doesn't seem to really be first choice this season which is a little bit odd yeah, I would just actually reminded me because I was going to bring up in terms of the strike partnership. When we went through that 11 game winless run last season, Chris Wood was injured during that period. And when, when he come back, it was him and Barnes up front. And that's when we started the five game winning streak. 
because Chris Wood come off the bench against West Ham and Everton. He seems to make a real difference. And them two seem to bond together. And I think Barnes got injured on the penultimate game last season. And I'm, I don't think he's 100% fit, is he? Yeah, he did. So I'm, I'm just curious whether Deitch is wanting to get Barnes like uh, back to full speed. Yeah, get maybe. Chris Wood back because he's been a bit. He's had a bit of unjust criticism, in my opinion, in the last say, well, since the start of the season, really. Yeah, well, let's let's flit around a bit here because I think it's sometimes easier when there's just the two of us on the podcast to talk about this because that's one of the the topics I did want to bring up is Chris Wood, and I'm going to say that Chris Wood at the moment, yes, you're right, Robbie, he is suffering from a little bit of, in my opinion, unfair criticism, and I think he's being Hendrixed. Now, I say that in that Jeff Hendrick at the moment is probably one of the most unpopular players from what I can see from a vast majority of fans. And I think that criticism has been really unfair. And we have been vocal about this on the podcast by saying, you know, you can't expect Hendrick to play out of his skin in a number 10 role that isn't his role. He's, you know, he's manning up and he's been put in that position by Daesh to try and fill a gap in our squad. And he's doing it to the best that he can. When he moves back into that central midfield and he comes out of that number 10 role, as we've seen over the last few games, Hendrick is a much better player. So when I say that I think um, Hendrick has, sorry, Wood has been Hendrickst at the moment, I think it's the same thing. Chris Wood, in my opinion, is not a striker who benefits from being up front on his own. He needs to have a partner with him and he needs to have a natural number 10. And a lot of the criticism that, Wood has been facing at the moment from fans has been in games when we're playing 4-5-1 with Wood up front on his own like we saw on Sunday against United Robert he's never going to score those goals when he's not got any partnership isn't he? Yeah it doesn't help when um, because you've sort of noticed when we do play at 4-5-1 we try and get Jeff Hendrick into the game so he's dropped a bit deeper I've noticed it's more of like a flat midfield free now and there's no one within like 30 yards of Chris Wood so it just gets lumps up to him and he's got absolutely no support. And it's, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't think Chris Wood has that sort of aggression, which Ashley Barnes has to yeah, play that true. role on his own. I think Ashley Barnes, I think when he's up front on his own, he will do the running and then do the yeah. real ugly stuff, which you sort of need when... Uh... <laughs> because Barnes will win like... Yeah, he wins those cheap free kicks where he just like backs into someone and falls on the, falls on the floor and... Chris Wood doesn't really do that. No, Joe, that's something that we noticed on Sunday, actually. He got fouled a lot on Sunday and he just stood there with his arms out to the referee. And I just think sometimes he's maybe been a little bit too honest for his own good. And I wonder whether because he is a big lad and he is quite strong, he feels like he's just going to look ridiculous if he goes down as soon as a, as a player, as a defender touches him. But I do think he does need to get a bit more Ashley Barnes in him and he does need to be trying to win us some set pieces, especially at the moment when we aren't Thursday, second half aside, when we aren't, sorry, (laughs) Thursday, first half aside, when we're not perhaps creating as many chances as we would like from open play. Our best chance at the moment of scoring some goals is to get some set pieces. And I do wonder whether um, Chris Wood could benefit from trying to get us some free kicks there. So I think looking at the... Europa League overall, I mean, obviously Thursday was a massive disappointment. How do you feel now it's all over about how we performed in the Europa League all the way through, Robbie? Are you pleased? Are you disappointed? Do you think we could have done more or do you think we did everything we can? I thought we'd give it a good go, considering a lot of teams get into the qualifying stages and just don't really make it and really fall short of their expectations. But I think we'd give it a good go. We did get some really tough draws. 
I, I include Aberdeen in that. I think Aberdeen were a real tough draw as well. But I think I think we that's how a lot of people criticise, including you. I'm going to include you in this sort of going there uh, that you felt really dis- <laughs> that you felt really disappointed <laughs> that we didn't give it. I think we could have given it more. And to be fair, I do kind of agree because we didn't kind of prepare as well as we should have in terms of bringing bodies in and recruitment and only using 17 players and blah, 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 what Sean Dyche went on about. But in terms of performances and stuff, I think we give it a good go. I think when you look at Istanbul away where we played for a nil-nil to give ourselves the best possible chance of getting through, we ground out a result against Aberdeen away to pull it back level, I think was... I think we deserve a bit more credit for that. And we played really well against Southern Piarcos, you know, coming from 3-1 down against a team who, I think we're, I think we're in Champions League last season, the year before. I think they were in like Man United. I think they were in like Man United. in Champions League a lot, recently, so yeah. They were a well-established European club. And we, we gave them like a, a, good, a good test. Like you saw Olympiacos, all their coaching staff ran on the pitch when they finally got that goal at Turf Moor. Yeah. I just... Okay, there's a lot of things that you, you've come out with in, in, in that analysis that I really agree with. And it's really nice to see and it's reassuring to see somebody who can pull out the positives from that. And I agree with everything you're saying. And I think particularly the, the Istanbul game, I was probably the most pleased out of the three of them. Where I was coming from with the debates about whether we did enough was more down to team selection. Now, Bear with us, listeners, because this has been quite a hot topic this week and there's been a lot of people arguing both sides of that. My disappointment has always been that should we have been more respectful to the fans who wanted this adventure and to the club on this biggest game in 50 years belief that they were putting out in the media and also to the club itself to play the strongest team that we possibly can do. Now, I was disappointed on Thursday. I understand the other games. I understand Aberdeen. I understand Istanbul. Um, And if we'd have fallen in one of those games, then so be it. And I understood the, the, the need for squad rotation at the time. But we had 45 minutes on on Sunday. Well, actually, no, we had... 40, yeah, no, we were still in it at half-time. OK, let, let's take the full game on Thursday. We had one game to get us into the Europa League group stages. And that, to me, should have meant that he played his strongest side possible. By playing a weakened side, as in not his potentially... Well, probably not his first choice of players, to me sends out a message that the Europa League just isn't as important as other things. And yes, Dyche did warn us about that and Premier League survival has to be the number one. But we had, Robbie, we had one game off being able to say that we got to the Europa League group stages and we didn't play our strongest side. Now, there are two arguments against that. Well, there's one good argument actually that counteracts that and this was one that a lot of people gave to me. Number one, well, the team that did come out did play really, really well. And I agree with that. They did. I think that might be a fortunate result for, for Dyche in, in that sense, in that at least he can come out and say, well, my decision and my strategy played off. And number two, this is the most convincing argument. Well, given the league performances and given the completely diabolical performances against Fulham and Watford, certainly in the second half against Watford, did the first team really deserve to get picked in the Europa League? And if they had, would they have done any better, Robbie? Okay, you can sort of use this 
for the team selection against Man United because Phil Bardsley like started both games, and that shocked me because you you thought that Bardsley started Thursday to rest Matt Lawton ahead of Sunday, and then Lawton was on the bench this weekend, and that that really like baffled me because it made me think that maybe Phil Bardsley is for the short term maybe our first choice right back because. Matt Lawton has probably been below par so far this season. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, I guess we're in uncharted territory here, and I understand both sides of the debate. You, I guess you look at that side, because we had such a settled first team last season, Robbie, and we didn't really change players around that much. We all maybe have in our brains, in our minds, sorry, the idea of what the first team is and who our strongest players are. And maybe this season we are in a situation where the first team isn't quite playing as well as it did last season and the second team, the, you know, the guys waiting the wings for their opportunity are really, really pushing for a first choice. And we saw that against United with, with Charlie Taylor and Phil Barsley replacing both fullbacks who haven't really been playing, like you say, their best performances. So I think I think I understand the debates that have been going around social media, and I I was very vocal in my disappointment that we didn't play what I perceive, perceived to be our strongest team, and I think the my main reason for that was just number one, real disappointment that we didn't get through to the group stages, and number two, it was the message that it sent out to the club that despite everything we achieved last season, despite the money that some of our fans have spent on travelling around Europe following the team, but it just wasn't priority in this moment in time. I have seen some tweets, and I'm going to raise this because I think it's an important debate, but I know how I feel about this. There are a lot of tweets out there that are suggesting that it wasn't just a case of that the Europa League was second in priority to the Premier League, but actually the overall strategy by Deitch and the staff was to get out of the Europa League as soon as possible because of the nervousness around the poor league start we've had. Now, Robbie, I know how I feel about that. Where do you stand on that very controversial debate? Uh, I don't agree with it, to be honest. I can see where you're coming from, but uh, actually just thinking about it, going back to my last point about us playing really good football against Olympiacos, this may be me overthinking it. I think maybe we played better football just to make us a little bit happier if we went out. Because I think if we were a bit more ugly and still didn't go through, I think there'd be a lot more gripes and moans as if, oh, we created a lot more chances, we played some really good football, and we just fell short. But they gave it a good go. Good old Burnley, they gave it a good go like they always do. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm definitely overthinking this, aren't I? You're definitely overthinking it. <laughs> I like it, though. This is this is the level of analysis we need. Um, for what it's worth, I completely agree with you, and I, I'm kind of glad that you fell down that side. I don't. And I would make it clear, listeners, this, this isn't my point. It isn't an argument that I've put forward. I've seen a lot of tweets out there. My criticism was only that I wanted us to throw everything we could at just to get into the group stages. That was my disappointment. And the team selection bothered me. Um, and it upset me a little bit because, especially in the heat of the disappointment of, of going out of the Europa League, I wasn't that pleased with it. And I think that it's maybe the team selection is maybe being clouded by the fact that they did perform as well as they did. And I know that's a little bit circular to, to think that. And, and I think, well, obviously, you know, they did play well, so that proves the point wrong. But it just felt to me that, as a club, we should have been putting everything we could at the game to try and win. But I don't believe that they deliberately threw it. And I think if if we had have gone through, I think the club would have just re- reassessed and 
taken stock and gone for it again. Did you know the situation regarding the seats, the wooden seats and stuff, if we gone through to the group stage? Yeah, we had to replace them, didn't we? Yeah, we'd have to <laughs> put them all plastic and whatnot due to UEFA regulations. I know, so, I believe so. Yeah, we 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 uh we got out in, on purpose. You know, I'm quite glad about that. I never want those wooden seats to go in the Cricketville stand. They are part of us, like Bertie B and Holland's Pies and Bad Tannoy's. Actually, that's a good point. I can't imagine everybody is, but if anybody at the club is listening to this, is there anything we can do about that Tannoy? Because I can't hear anything. <laughs> so poor Daz on Thursday and Sunday was doing his best to try and, and get announcements out, but I couldn't hear anything. So yeah, that that's I guess that's the end of our Europa League analysis, listeners. It's there was so much to talk about this week, and and I think we wanted to dissect the performance, and I wanted to dissect the team selection, and I wanted to dissect the strategy from Dash. But when I listed it all out in preparation for the podcast and thought about what we wanted to talk about, it was just negative after negative after negative. And as Robbie quite rightly said, the team went for it on Thursday. You know, we might not have had the killer instinct that we needed up front and we might have fallen short in the end. But that team that went out there did go out and put a performance. So we we can't really be too critical of them. And I think, in my opinion, we look at it and we learn from it and everybody connected with the club and the players can use it as a springboard to try and either get there again or get on to better things. But let's move on. Robbie, the other big talking point this week, which was started off to just be a discussion about Olympiacos, but as it turns out is now also a discussion about Premier League teams, is the emergence of Dwight McNeil who made his Europa League debut and his Premier League debut debut in one week. Now, Robbie, how did he do? I thought he was outstanding on Thursday night. I thought he took him he looked a bit nervous in the opening five, ten minutes, and then he sort of grew into the game and he was definitely our probably our most creative player. He looked like making something happen. I thought his deliveries with his left foot were outstanding. We've really missed Robbie Brady recently in terms of with the left foot he has, but I thought Dwight McNeil, I thought his I thought some of his crosses. I think two of them were for Volks, I think, where where he missed his sitters. It kind of shows what the kind of quality he has. Absolutely. I think it was a real shining light from an otherwise quite depressing week. I think he for me, I think in the first ten minutes or so of the of Thursday's game, I think he looked a little nervous, and I have absolutely no criticism labelled on him for that at all. I think that's completely understandable. The lad's what eighteen, is he? And he's coming on to make his his full senior debut in the Europa League with the whole of Europe watching. It was on live on television, so I imagine he sort of sat there having to pinch himself, and think, what on earth? <laughs> How am I going to get through this? But it did not take him very long at all to settle into the side. I thought he looked confident. Some of his crosses that he put in were really, really superb. And he played well enough, I think, to deserve his call-up against United on Sunday. And again, no nerves at all. It looked like, to me, he'd been playing in the side for ages, Robbie. Yeah, he didn't have quite the impact, but at the end of the day, it is against Manchester United and nobody else played particularly well. So that's going to impact that's, yeah, that's that's going to impact him as well. But again, I think he was another huge positive coming out of yeah. not many on Sunday, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I would have, and I said this on Thursday night coming off off turf before we we even thought about the United game. I my preferred option would be to play him in midfield rather than have to play Charlie Taylor in that midfield role when he's a obviously a, a left back. And I think he did really well. I guess. It, the, a worry from a team selection perspective is that if you look at that left side, if you've got Charlie Taylor at left back and then um, O'Neill in the left side of midfield, there's quite a lot of inexperience down that left side, and it's perhaps open to a little bit of weakness. But I think I think between the two of them, they, they coped quite well, don't you? Yeah, it, it looks as if they were developing a bit of an understanding as well. I, I actually hope that McNeil's going to be our first choice winger for. for Short, yeah, short term, too. at least, until Robbie Ray and his uh, back yeah. to full fitness. And like you keep saying, when it's when he's actually finally dyke fit and whatnot. But um... <laughs> Don't get me started, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, but I think he has a little bit more than just crossing. I think he has that... I don't think he's blessed with pace, but he has that agility just to drop a shoulder and get away from his marker as well. Um, yeah, he does. He's got the creativity, hasn't he? He's got the graft and he's got the creativity. And that's what we're missing so much. Yeah, and he, he can kick a football really, really hard as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. But the big question though, Robert, is he a runner? Burnley fans love a runner. For Sean Dyke to, to even consider him and to include him in within pre-season, he must be, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's obviously let's carry on then with the United game. And the league... Doesn't look particularly very pleasing, does it, Robbie? We've played four games now, um, one point out of a possible 12, and very uncharacteristically for Burnley, conceded nine goals. It's, it's Again, listeners, we had to try and, and cut out a lot of what we wanted to talk about for the United game just because we genuinely was a little concerned that you would all need a good dose of therapy by the end of this this podcast. And if you weren't feeling bad enough, we were definitely going to make you feel worse. But it was another loss. Again, so, you know, the, the toughest side we, we've met this season on paper. That said, it was a United side in a bit of chaos, a manager who's under a lot of pressure. And other teams, well, you, you look at that side and, and you think, well, it, it's... It's a team that you should set out to try and beat because you it's probably the best chance you're ever going to get to beat United at home. And Robbie, we just didn't take that chance, did we? Yeah, it's a, it was a weird one because Man United was it was it could either go either way. It was either Man United are in I don't want to say free fall, but this is a good opportunity to go out and beat them, or you could look at it as in this is probably the worst time to play them because there's going to be a reaction. And we got that side of it. In terms of Mourinho being under pressure, I'm not sure that he is. My bosses at work are huge United fans. They were at the game and they always tell me that the majority of United fans are actually behind Mourinho. It's the more than media backlash, which don't like Mourinho. And it was, I think it, that was a real statement from Mourinho to go out go out to Turf Moor and basically beat us with ease. Yeah. They, he played incredibly positively, didn't he? he? He put all of his big men on, which we knew he would do because that's how you neutralise Burnley's defence and neutralise Burnley's physical play. And they, they just didn't let up. And let's take a moment just to talk about Lukaku. Robbie, how in the world do you defend against that guy? Burnley are having issues against big men at the moment. You think about Watford, Troy Deeney rips us to shreds. Fulham, Mitrovic rips us to shreds. And then, obviously, Lukaku rips us to shreds as well. But why is that? Because we've not had that before. Why suddenly this season have we started capitulating in that back five? They're normally a lot more strong and a lot more robust than that. 
Yeah, and usually you bat Ben Mee as well, but I thought Ben Mee was shocking on Sunday. Oh, and yeah, I, he really seen, was. I'd never seen him play that badly, I don't think, in his, what, six years with us. Even when he was at left-back, I'd never seen him play that bad. No, I I, I hate to criticise him, so I'm, I'm, I love Ben Mee. I'm a massive fan, but I agree he was... He he had a real off day, and I also think Tarkovsky's been. I know you you really rate him as well, but I I think he's not at his best at the moment either. And I was quite surprised to see him get called up to the England squad. To be honest, and it's really hard to put a finger on what's going on with the goals that we're conceding. Now this week we can look at something specific in that Deitch decided to change both of his fullbacks. And I was worried about that before the game because I don't like tinkering with the defence, especially one that's not particularly performing very well. But actually, in the end, they maybe weren't the positions that I was most concerned about. I think Ben Mee and Tarkovsky were the weaker ones in the middle. Johar, I'm not sure, could be that criticised for the goals. But to me, he was quite static. There were a couple of times where there wasn't really the relationship with his, his defence in front of him. And, and he was a bit, little bit rooted to the spot on his line, I think, rather than maybe coming out and, and taking control of a situation. What do we do, Robbie? I mean, is, is it simply a case of using the international break to pick the first team now and to... Almost, do you know how I feel, Robbie? I feel like this has been this first term has been a mini season. I feel like we had to just get to the international break where we had the Europa League games to play. So there's six games there and four league games, and we're out of Europe, albeit there has been some positives to take from that. And we are really underperforming in the league. It feels to me, doesn't it, that Deitch needs to get them all away, go back to picking his first team is his first choice 11 drilling them drilling them drilling them and getting them back to the best is is that going to sort it is that the answer that was literally what i was going to say use the international break just to really drill them in terms of like team selection on sunday i was really surprised that phil bards is starting uh, on the other side of that i thought charlie taylor probably merited his start i just you know, i thought it was a bit of a head scratcher that your best available right back is sat on the bench and fit like, i appreciate that matt lawton may be out for him but I think some of his deliveries from the right-hand side are like crucial to the way we play. And I was really surprised that Bards had started. And I think that probably contributed towards Chris Wood's individual performance as well. I don't think he was terrible, but he had literally nothing to feed off. Deliveries to him was poor. And I think if Lawton is in the side... I think delivery is a better for us. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that was one of the points that I made before the game on Sunday, that you looked at that paper, you looked at, sorry, you looked at that team on paper and it looked like Dyche set up for a nil-nil. And, and that, you know, a point at home to United, especially with the start we've had, probably wouldn't have been that bad a start. But the problem is, is that once you go a goal behind, you, you're not going to claw your way back into the game because you, you're just not creating anything. And, Matt Lawton put so many crosses into the box that I don't think Barsley does. And also Ward's very good at getting forward as well. And yes, he's also been struggling a lot recently. But Taylor is improving, I think, at getting forward. And he's putting a lot more crosses into the box than he did last season. So is it just a case of maybe being patient with Charlie Taylor and he will now take over from Ward? Or do you think we're going to see Ward back shortly? I want to see a little bit more Charlie Taylor. I think he's got a lot of potential. I don't think he gets enough credit for his crosses. I don't think we've seen the best of them, but in terms of that whip that he's got on it, like I, think he can, yeah. I think he can cause some real problems this season. There's something that I just thought about then. Last season, 
I think we started with Phil Bardsley at right back against Manchester City at home. Then did we bring Matt Lawton on at half time and he changed the game? Yeah, we did because Bardsley had an absolute shocking first half, if yeah. I remember right. And he never lost his place. Yeah. I, was, was I was expecting that to happen again and it didn't, but oh well. Oh well. Um, let's talk a little bit about. Obviously, the second half was in, it, rather. I guess, eventful, wasn't it? We had a very bizarre sending off from Marcus Rashford for an incident which was very unlike him. Yeah, this is my biggest disappointment to the entire game was that Man United actually gave us a route back into the game where the game was dead at 2-0. And then when the penalty is awarded, you think, oh, here we go, here comes number three. We're conceding another three goals. Pogba does his stupid little run-up and Joe Hart saves it. And we I know how we laughed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and finally, there was like some real like encouragement like coming from the home crowd. And then moments after that, Rashford gets sent off, and then the whole place is up. And you think that energy would like transfer onto the pitch, and then it kind of didn't. And that was my biggest disappointment of the entire weekend, to be honest. You say that though, I think that twenty minute spell around that second half was our brightest spell throughout the whole game, and we did start to get some chances, and we had. The, the opportunity, you know, we did have a couple of chances where we thought we might be able to score some in some corners and a little bit of pressure. Now, the problem is, is that we were a little bit lightweight up front, even when we brought um, the front two on and, we, we, you know, we, we changed it around a bit. But I think, you know, there was there was a, a drive there that perhaps we'd not seen for the rest of the game. Yeah, I can't believe that Dyke didn't bring Vidra on, like, way sooner. So it'll only give you five minutes when you're 2-0 down. He's not Dyke fit, though. Oh, I don't care. I don't get... <laughs> Oh, we love we love a bit of Dutch fit on the Known and Ever podcast. <laughs> we needed a route back into the game, and you could argue that Vidra is probably our most creative player, and you were sat on the bench, and you're two 0 down. Like, oh, this, it's ridiculous! Like to give him five minutes, like he's not going to like make an impact in five minutes. It's just no. Like, I, I, I can sort of understand like a, a bit of criticism that day because I thought we were really, really, really poor. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems is by the time we got to the United game, we had a, a team that looked tired and they looked battered and they looked like they were just fed up of this first start to the season. And we've all been saying for once, the international break could not come soon enough for us. And Dyke talked after the game, which me and Robbie will get really annoyed at this, and he did make the point and said, oh, you know, this is the 10th game that my players, and I've only got 17 players, have had to play. Yes, Sean, buying some players in the transfer window would probably have helped that, but let's not get onto that. But I don't think it's necessarily the physical demand of these 10 games that's taking its toll on the players, but just maybe the mental demand. Robbie, to me, they don't look as driven and as sharp and as disciplined as they did last season they look like they're mentally weak and that is to me because Dash keeps telling us that physically they're very very fit it's one of the fittest group of players he's ever worked with but to me they look like they're broken yeah it looked like a performance which we get in like April I've got a good example is when we went to the Emirates and got beat 5-0 where we were really really off it and that's how we've started the season which is really unlike us yeah it is so what We've got the international break now. I'm gonna I'm gonna magically turn you into Sean Dyche for a few minutes, Robert, and you now have control over the squad, the staff, everything. What do you do in this international break? What's your strategy? Well, I don't I'm not sure if we're like hundred percent fit 
I don't think we've had a proper like Deitch training, like pre-season training session where they've had to get really fit. I think a lot of it's been maybe match fitness and getting prepared for Europa League. So I think we have to use this break to just to get some like more miles in the legs and just like get them up to speed properly because I think we didn't even get close to Man United on Sunday. Like in terms of like closing down, it was very slow and lethargic and as if they couldn't be bothered. So I think. It's going to be in terms of a fitness thing for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to add on to that strategy for me. I think we need to rediscover our identity and I think we need to stop tinkering around it. And, you know, I'm not going to criticise Dyche for that. He felt that the way to cope with these 10 games was to utilise squad rotation and it just has not worked out for us. It's not the burner that we know and love. So as well as the, the drills and the discipline and the fitness levels I think Darch has to really sit down and think about what his starting 11 is who plays best in what position and stick to that first choice and have proper strategies in place for backup so if we do go one nil down who do we bring on you know not just trying things out and seeing where we are I think he doesn't do it very often, but I think he, he got his strategy completely wrong on Sunday. So I think he needs to take stock of what he knows and go back to being the confident manager that we saw last season of being of having conviction in the decisions that he makes and making the right ones. Just before we, we bring Dave in, Robbie, I've got to say it. I, you know, you, you look at the start to that season and where we were this time this year. We, we, we're in 19th place on one point and we've conceded nine goals I'm not going to use the R word because it's way too early in the season, but are you worried? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Just because we're kind of losing games which are unlike us. If we had only had one point, but we just lost a game by small margins, then I'd sort of shrug my shoulders at it and tell people off on Twitter. But I sort of understand people being a little bit worried about, about this because we're conceding too many goals. We're not hard to beat. We're not resolute. Uh, there's still question marks over the goalkeepers. Who's our first choice? We don't know who it is. And our strikers don't look particularly in form either. And all those things put together is a recipe for disaster. Oh dear. <laughs> what a way to, what a way to end. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. This is this is good. This is what our listeners there'll be listeners out there who feel the same way that you do, Robbie. There'll be hopefully listeners who feel quite optimistic. I'm also worried but I'm not massively worried if we continue this bad form for two or three games after the international break then I will get worried but I th- I think that this if it had to happen I feel that the exit from the Europa League and the international break have both come at the perfect time and it feels like we can draw a line under a mini summer season it's almost like our season hasn't started yet and I felt in some games that we've still still look like we're in pre-season mode so I think I'm very confident that Deitch will get them all sorted. I think he'll, I fully suspect that he'll have gone in on Monday. They'll have all taken a deep breath and gone, right, okay, now we start. And rightly or wrongly, how you perceive that from their attitude and application in the first first four games and the Europa League is irrelevant. I think they can sit there now and say, right, time to go to work. And I think we've just got too much about us to to go down the season. I don't think we'll finish very high. I think we'll finish 15th or 16th, but that's enough and we'll start again next year. So let's see how they are. So 
let's move on. Let's let's look ahead past the international break and our next fixture is away at Wolves, which obviously isn't going to be that easy. But it's going to be, you know, it's, it's a game that we can win. And what a statement if the Clouts go away from home, put this mini season to bed and, and get a result at Molyneux. So as ever, we welcome a resident statistician, Dave Roberts, to the show. Dave, welcome back. How are we this week? I'm well, Natalie. Yourself? Yeah, we've just, Robbie and I have just been trying to exercise some therapy and, and get over the week that we've had at Turf Moor. How are you feeling after the European exit? Uh, glad for a break, I think. I think after the uh, after that and then uh, the, the Manchester United defeat, it's uh, probably a good time for the international break, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what we've been saying on the podcast this week. It feels, doesn't it, that the team can take stock and just, I guess, draw a line under a mini season that they've had. And, and it almost feels like Dash is going to sit down and say, right, time to go to work and let's start again, doesn't it? Um, which is going to do a week on Saturday, a week on Sunday. Sunday, I, do, Sunday. I was going to say, I'm not quite sure where we are now with Saturday and Sunday games. But yeah, yeah. a week on Sunday and we get to go to newly promoted Wolves which may or may not be a good thing, Dave. Talk us through it. What have you What have you found out about the head-to-head with Wolves for this? Um, well, yeah, look back at the uh, previous games against Wolves. And in recent years, it's not uh, not too bad, actually. We've, we've got a few uh, few victories in there. Um, we won 2-1 there, the, the uh, match before last. The, the last one we played there was a 0-0. I was down there for that one, and it was a dreadful game. There wasn't a lot going on. And it was a, a weird one because the grounds were actually let. Well, it appeared as if the grounds were just let the grass grow. So they tried to do it, you know, f- to frustrate our play or whatever. But every time the ball got played on the ground, it just got held up by the grass. It was it was strange. Um, and after the game, we were doing the um, uh, hanging around for the uh, interviews uh, after the match uh, for the Clarence player, and um, you could hear the the loan was they had about you know. 10 or 12 of them out there, the guys um, mowing the grass after the game. Um, and it was obviously a deliberate ploy, but they won't get away with that this time. I think Premier League regulations mean that they can't let the uh, the grass grow along. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not expecting any any weird trickery like that from this world side. There's, there's quite a, um, a reassuring st- stat for Sean Dyche, isn't there, Dave, against Wolves? Uh, yeah, but I mean, as, as Burnley manager anyway, he's played, well, Burnley have played Wolves four times, um, we won the first two with Sean Dyche in charge and then drew the next two. So it's four matches without a defeat. And looking back in the one season he was in charge at Watford, um, Wolves weren't in the same division as Watford that season, so they didn't play them. So Sean Dyche is undefeated against Wolves as a manager, if we're after a positive stat. That is a great stat. And he's that we're gonna keep hold of that, Dave. There's no way we're gonna let no way we're gonna let him done. Um the same can't really be said for poor old Stan Turner looking at your sheet here. He didn't quite have the same look, did he? No, didn't have the uh didn't have any look against uh against Wolves down there anyway. And to be honest, not much better at Turf Moor. I've not got those in front of me, but uh, Wolves over the years, um certainly um other than recent times. Um, we'd struggled against them. We had, um, looking back to the 70s, Burnley were relegated from the top flight in 1976. And then in uh, matches after that, Burnley only managed one victory between 1976 and 2004-05 season. And in that time, a bit like the Man United one we looked at last time, Man United, uh, Burnley have only scored uh, one goal against Man United at Turf Moor. But going to the away games... Uh, Burnley had only scored one goal against Wolves, but I suppose we, 
perhaps should be grateful for that. Neil Grucock scored a goal for Burnley in uh, September 1986. Burnley won 1-0, so that's the only goal Burnley scored in a, a period of, what is it, from 76 to 2005, so you know, nearly 30 years. But that 1-0 victory in that season was vital for Burnley in 1986-87, because at the end of it, um, yeah. obviously we had the Orient game, so the, the victory against Wolves early in that season was uh, was vital with hindsight. There's some good signs coming out of this, Dave. There's some good signs. Kind of worryingly, especially with our current league form, if you sort of look from the 1970s onwards, apart from the odd one or two games, the Wolves tend to score quite a lot of goals against us. Yeah, they've had a few. I mean, we, we, we have had victories. I mean, I, I remember going down for a, a, a Friday night match uh, we played. It was a, one on Sky. Burnley were played off the park by Wolves and somehow managed to get a 1-0 win. Uh, Gareth O'Connor scored a free kick. And I think the players came off the pitch wondering how they'd uh, managed to get a victory in that game. That was with uh, Steve Cottrell in charge. And then we had um, a victory with Owen Coyle as manager. Again, another Sky match. I think it was a, a Saturday evening, if I remember correctly. It wasn't one I was down for, but it was a, a Saturday evening kickoff. Um, and Burnley won 3-2 in that one. And then we've had one victory with Sean Dyche as well. Danny Ings and Martin Patterson scored as a match towards the end of the season. I don't know if you remember from that one, there were protests from the Wolves fans at the end of the game. I can't remember whether they'd already gone down or were about to go down, but there was uh, unrest at the end of the uh, match. But Burnley did the business and, and won 2 1. Excellent. Well, these stats are, uh, uh, I guess, they're not warming the, the, the cockles, I'm afraid, Dave. But, you know, there are, there's some highlights in there, and I think. If we, if there's, there's not a lot of green, if you look at your table, <laughs> but you know the fact that we've got this this win under Dash and we have got um, some wins under that. I, I guess for games like this, Dave, we've just got to almost rip up the rule book and rip up the stats book. Not very reassuring for you, but can you know taking the head to head aside, Dave? What's your views on the game? You know, on paper, do you think this Burnley side can? really kickstart their, their league campaign now and get a result at Wolves? I think we'll be hoping so. I mean, we do, we do other than um, Fulham, we do have uh, a really good record against the promoted size. Fulham were the first ones we'd lost to going back since Burnley were promoted last time. So that's uh, 2016, 17, 17, 18, so two full seasons we hadn't actually lost again. A lot of draws in there, but Burnley were uh, not losing matches. Fulham was the, the first defeat. So it's difficult. We know all away games are, are difficult. We are perhaps spoiled a little bit last season with the number of victories we did get away from home. It's perhaps not going to be as easy this time to chalk up as many wins on the road. But I guess these are the matches we'll be wanting to, to do that and, and try and get some points. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to put you under the spot a little bit here. On the spot, sorry, not under the spot. It's all right, I'm going to do that with you later when, when, <laughs> when you finish. <laughs> um, we, we, one of the things that Robbie and I have been discussing, obviously, throughout the podcast on, on the league form is, is the uncharacteristic number of goals that this Burnley side have been shipping. So what's your number one back five? Um, That's a good question. I'd be tempted to keep uh, Tarki and me in the middle. I'd probably have Matt Lowton and maybe Charlie Taylor. Keeper? At the moment, Tom Heaton. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. There's a lot of people suggesting that Ben Mee could be in danger of losing his place to Gibson. Are you an advocate of that, or do you think that's nowhere near going to happen? Um, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the one who sees the players on the uh, on the training ground week in week. Come on. <laughs> No, I, personally, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think that players coming in have got to earn their place, and we'll, 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 you know, we'll we'll see what happens with with Ben Gibson. Obviously, you know, Kevin Long's 
perhaps unlucky not to be getting games as well because he's you know he's looked the part when he's come in as well. So it's it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's good in a way that we do have choices, but I guess I think a little bit of it perhaps is the fact that it has chopped and changed a little bit. It's not been tiredness so much. But perhaps the fact we haven't been able to keep the same same team week in week out, certainly the same back five week in week out. Yeah, that's certainly something that we have been debating on, on the podcast, whether or not that's just not worked for us. No, that's great, Dave. So you're gonna you're gonna have the week off next week, as we all are, and then we come back in two weeks' time, and you'll be previewing Cardiff. It's Cardiff next, isn't it? Oh, I've not looked that far ahead yet. <laughs> ah, I see. I'm pretty sure it's Wolves in Cardiff. Um, if it's not, listeners, I'm sure you'll let me know. But let's hope, Dave, that the next time we speak to you, that we've got some positive head-to-head and we've got um, uh, three points on the board. And uh, we'll see you next time, Dave. Enjoy your international break. Well, thank you. You too. So, Robbie, there we are. That was Dave's head-to-head stats for us um, for the Wolves game. But let's let's look at this, as, I guess, away from, from the facts and figures. How do you feel in your gut, I guess, as to how we're going to perform? It's not going to be an easy game. I don't think anybody's expecting it to. But Wolves have put in a couple of good performances and a couple of maybe naive performances. Do you know, what what are you expecting from us when we go to Molyneux? I'm not expecting us to get anything again. I'm sorry. I'm being Mr Negative. I'm sorry. It's all right. I think if you, if you ask me this, if you ask me this same question after Olympiacos on Thursday, I would have backed us to maybe get something. But just after Man United, I'm feeling I'm still feeling a bit dejected, and it still hurts. So I feel a bit. I can't help but look at like the next three fixtures. I look at Wolves away, newly promoted side. You know, tails are still up. The crowd's going to be behind them. It's going to be a tough game. I think we have Bournemouth at home. That's a big opportunity to get three points, and then we go away again to another promoted side at Cardiff, and again. Same situation, their tails are up. They're, they still need their first win. And I sort of look at Wolves and go, maybe we could catch them by surprise, maybe. And Because they're they're bouncing off. Uh, they got a last-minute goal at West Ham, didn't they, over the weekend. So if we can sort of dampen their spirits, well, we, we can catch them out. But I don't expect it, to be honest. Oh, I do hope we, we prove you wrong. I'd love to see... I feel like you are, what, five or six podcasts into your new role in the Not Never team, and I feel like we've beaten you already. You're like, oh, God, this is horrendous. Um, I'm feeling strangely positive about Wolves Away, to be honest. I think that our Premier League experience will come back. I feel that we will have a settled side. I feel like Deitch will have had a, the international break to sort them all out, and I'm feeling positive. I think we can go there and, and get a win. And I think we'll start with heat and back in the nets. I think I, I think that point about the settled keeper is a really good point, Robbie. I think we'll go back to maybe having heat in the nets and, and we'll settle on the, the established back five that we're going to have. And I think we'll defend a lot better than we have been doing. And then it's just simply a case of, of getting Vidra on and um, maybe O'Neill as well and, and seeing if we can get some more chances created. So that's all we've got time for this week, listeners. We have been as constructive as we possibly can it's very hard to hide the disappointment though of a Europa League exit and a poor league start but the beauty of the international break means that we can start again so thank you very much for joining us and my thanks as ever go to Robbie 
my co-panelist who has been with me through the last uh, 45 minutes dissecting um, as much as we possibly can do. Our thanks as ever to Matt who will be editing this week's podcast and thanks to Dave who has come in and done his homework and provided us with all of the Wolves stats. But our final thanks go to you the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast. We would not be here without you and your support is very much appreciated. We will be back in two weeks' time after the international break. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.